I think it was the theologians who first started the idea, later the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same. What you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Volk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. You look down, John Michael just squats down to make a wall. Like, Somebody has, <laughs> has these ice socks that are like patrolling the board. No, not today, Satan. Okay, okay, guys, we're we're gonna dive into it. Um, I'm here with with Owen, Jesse, John Michael, the Book Boys. I am so excited for this. I every year, this is like the two these two days of the year. The one we do of our review kind of for the first half of the year and then the one we do for the like second half of the year are easily like my, my two favorite uh days i think in the in the year so i'm stoked you guys are here owen's got a little bit of a frog in his throat he's doing kind of a meditative practice right now so yeah do you guys have any kind of like opening opening thoughts or should we dive into kind of an overview oh jesse what's up oh we should uh introduce our voices because we always forget to do that so i'm jesse I'm Owen. Owen, oh, you sound so attractive yeah. right now. Yeah, I've got a little, I've got a little frog in my throat. Nice. Yeah. Did you name the frog? I, I actually did. Jacob's Jacob's laughing because like we had a whole conversation where we told a story about the frog that's in my throat earlier. Uh, his name is Tomas. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's a he's a resist- he, he's, he's a pretty he's a pretty buff dude actually. Like <laughs> he's a res- he's a Polish resistance fighter. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Oh, and for one second, I thought you weren't wearing a collar, and I was freaked out. I was like, man, Owen is really doing poorly in his health, and then I saw <laughs> a collar peeking out from the, the sweater right there. So, yeah, because he's not wearing a suit jacket, that's how you know it's like casual Friday when he, and he's sick. So, uh, And this is the voice of John Michael Bout. Um, like we normally do, uh, yeah. So for anyone who isn't familiar with the format, we're just going to go in a circle talking about the books that we've read in the second half of 2023. Um, Usually we start by kind of doing some statistics because we have this awesome spreadsheet that John Michael built that has all like the genres and data and page count and audio versus physical book and stuff like that. So it's kind of fun to, to do a quick overview of that before we dive in. As usual, we read a lot of books that we disagree with sometimes we read books that have more mature themes for whatever reason so definitely not everything we read is a recommend and so if you if you ever have any like questions if you're listening and you have any questions about some of the books that we're talking about feel free to shoot us a message and then we can like kind of chat about whether whether it'd be a good book for you to read this is particularly for we, some of the younger people we usually say if yeah. we recommend it yeah yeah and we love apparently talking about books, so do shoot us those messages. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah definitely. Um, especially later on, we're going to have a conversation about um, a book called *The Great Sex Rescue* by Sheila Ray Gregory, and that's kind of that's got a few other books associated with it. That's going to be its own separate podcast for reasons that will make sense when we talk about it. Um, but I'm going to put this here for anyone who knows that we were going to talk about it this year because uh, we've had a few people ask us about it. So. Uh, is anyone does anyone have like an overview of the last half of the year that they want to want to do stats for? Sure, I can go first. Um, this year, I read thirty six books. Um, or sorry, this half of the year, yeah. I read thirty six books, um, and eight of which were fiction and stories. 
six of which were biography or memoir, only one in assorted nonfiction. I don't know what happened this year. It just went away. And then 21 in Christian nonfiction. So that dominated, but uh, a lot of it is just required reading for a course I was doing. Um, and pages was 9,500 muscle menos that did you guys keep track of pages this year? Yeah, definitely. Oh, I, ooh, I have one more stat that maybe you guys don't have this year. I actually tracked all my reading time because people would ask me sometimes. Oh, that's so yeah, cool. I, I have it. There was a tracker app I was using for a lot of other tracking stuff in my life just for some things I had to track. And I was like, what if I just tracked reading for six months? Because people ask me like, oh, how long are you reading per day? And I, I would always just kind of guess and say that I was reading about, um, I said, I think I read about f- an average of 15 minutes of physical reading. Some, some days it's like an hour and then some days it's nothing. But I think about 15 minutes and then about like a half an hour of audiobook on average because some days none, some days like a long drive. That was actually quite close to accurate. I think it's more like 20 minutes of physical reading and 40 minutes of audiobook every day because the average was overall an hour a day. And I did separate audiobook versus physical and, and that's where it ended up. So, um, Anyway, there's a fun stat for you, about an hour a day of reading. So do you feel like that hour a day of reading was pretty much constant over the year? And then how many books did you... No, no, no. It, it definitely varied by day. I'm, I'm taking right. an average. But, an, but um, yeah, for an average. But like, um, how many books did you read total? Oh, the entire year? It would have been uh, 60 something? Let me see. The Okay, first half I read 32 and this half I read 36. So that's like uh, 68. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so the the ba- just based on the fact that the page count and the book number was relatively similar yeah. between the two halves, then I would think that it would be like close to an hour last time too. So if my book number is similar next year, like I probably won't keep tracking time. It was it was fun, but it was you know a little bit annoying to always be turning a timer on and off. Yeah, I would recommend you guys do it just out of curiosity. But but like if I keep this has been my <laughs> I've like had an average of about thirty five books for like the last few years. Yeah, or sorry about like about seventy books. Yeah, last year. So, what's your average page read speed? Well, I, I could calculate that really quickly based on the amount of pages and then the amount of hours. Why don't Why don't I? Why don't you guys do some stats and I'll get back to you? Okay, I'll I'll quick share a couple. Uh, I read six fiction, twenty six non fiction, uh, nineteen audio, and thirteen physical. Uh, this for whatever reason this semester was way more heavily weighted audio. Uh, I read 32 books this six months, which brings me to 79 this year. I'm like halfway through four right now. Just didn't get the chance to finish them. But so they're not on my list, though. I will finish them this year still. Um, almost entirely theology and Christian living. Uh, basically, all the nonfiction goes into that. And then a couple biographies, a couple other things. Yeah, I find it interesting, Jesse, uh, kind of, because, I mean, a lot of us, you know, we, we love reading, we prioritize reading, and we read a decent amount each year. And so it's kind of cool to be like, what what is the like daily commitment to read that number of ish books? And so I feel like it's probably somewhere in the same ballpark for me, maybe a little bit more reading of like an hour a day. So, um, yeah, I read 82 books the total of the year. Um uh, my total page count. Did you say total page count, Michael? Well, uh, my total page count was fun. It was like uh, twenty-seven thousand words, a little over. And then the average, the average book size was two hundred ninety-four pages. 
So I think I read I read a few kind of bigger books this year. I'm curious if yours was that. Yeah, my average book size was 283 and then read 23,862 pages. Do you guys do you guys have those uh, those stats? Honestly, I don't. I have a couple sort of outliers in my um, in my stats that are kind of just throwing that off. I've got a short story there that I don't even know how many words it is. Mm. I have a, like a, a lecture series that I have no idea what the word length would be. Yeah. Uh, and then, so the page count would be, and then I have the Bible. I honestly didn't put down a page count for the Bible. Yeah, we did. Uh, you did? What, what did you yeah. put down? Um, we put the page count of the Bible as, uh, yeah, 1,216 pages. Okay. And I did that because I looked on, I just Googled, or I just put the Bible in Amazon and then just picked the very first result and it was a CSB thin line and that's what it was at. And I'm like, sounds boom, sounds legit. At least it's not like a, you know, 2,400 page commentary that you didn't read like half of. Yeah. No, sounds good. Anywho. I mean, if you read the whole commentary, then count that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, do you guys have uh, audio physical breakdown? Like, or like, actually for me, going, going back real quick, I've read this last half of the year. I read uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. I read 11 fiction uh, in the second half of the year, which is better, uh, but not good. Like, I want I want to read more fiction. They're, almost everything's nonfiction which is kind of a bummer. And I would say I read a lot more um, in paper copies because I was just destroying textbooks. Um, so less less audiobooks. But the audiobooks mostly because they were like really thick ones. So I read the Winston Churchill biography by Andrew Roberts and that was like 50 audio hours. So it took a, took a hot minute to get through. I listened to 10 audiobooks and 27 physical copies. So it's oh. interesting that audiobooks was the ma- majority of my reading time and physical copies was like like one third of it because because yeah but the thing is i mostly listen to my stories on audiobook um or some biographies as well and i just actually have been finding i just really enjoy listening to it at like 1.5 speed at the most so i i know that you can like you can train your ear to just destroy it at like two or three times speed but i just even though i can do that and actually take it in i just enjoy it more at regular speed it feels more like watching a movie so Especially when it's like Stephen Fry and Harry Potter. Yeah, it's just like, mm. I just like it better. So you, you, It literally is like you want to savor it and it feels to, like you're wasting the 100%. time. To, and the thing is like, we, we like to talk about the stats because it's fun. But like at the end of the day, a very large chunk of what I read for is for pleasure. Yeah. It's not. Oh, interesting. Like, I'm curious in this room, how many of you guys would say you primarily read because of pleasure in reading? Okay, here, here's what I would say. I, pri- I read for pleasure. However, I take great pleasure in learning. And I tried to develop that as something. You know what that is? Wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, that was so well said, Jesse. Man, it is, it is good to be sitting next to you once again. <laughs> these, are, these are four impressed boys right yeah. here. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, I would taking pleasure in reading, uh, I would say that I do, like most of my book list is like, like I have some stuff that's assigned for courses or whatnot, um, but the vast majority of it is not. Um, and there's a lot of stuff on there where I'm just strictly, I see a thing, I'm like, oh, I want to read that. Mm. Uh, and not to like jump on your your very elegant bandwagon there, but like I uh, I, I get it. Like I'll see something and be like, oh, I'm curious about that. I want to learn about that. And then it's just it's self indulgent still. No one's it's not. I'm not making dollars with this. You know what I mean? But I want to go and I want to read that book. I feel like reading has 
continue to foster a sense of curiosity in me. Mm. And I want to like feed that more. Oh, Because it's both a like, the more I read, the more dumb I know. Or the, the more <laughs> I know. <laughs> the more dumb I know. Oh, man. This is a really promising podcast already. <laughs> uh, the more realize more i realize that i need to read more because i'm dumb uh but also because it just i'm more curious it's like you realize that you don't know anything but that there's like complexity and like expertise in every conceivable field and that's so exciting mm-hmm. yeah totally like it's fun to know that the world is a, a big place and there's a lot of room for a there's lot, a of, lot of room for exploration so. yeah, yeah 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 i think most of my reading i feel like has been um, motivated by into the light work of like because so much of here and even in tangentially related just stuff I'm like that's gonna help my the work that I do with into the light in some way or and so I just spend I spend a lot of time that or it's just like stuff I don't know I, I feel like I read more a little bit more out of duty this year than I think I ever have and there's less fiction and I'm bummed by that so yeah it's interesting thinking about it because I don't think I almost ever read for pleasure these days. Uh, I get pleasure out of it sometimes, but it's very rare that it's like, wow, I just want to sit down and read a book because man, that sounds so fun. It's usually like, there's so much I want to do so much I have to do. And that drives me to read a lot. I don't love that. Like, I'm not saying that's like, man, that's so awesome. But it's, it is kind of just the reality right now. Uh, and it has motivated me to read a ton. So, I think it's. I think f- at least it's a little time in season, though. Like yeah. I think I think there's been some stuff with Into the Light that has made us need to read a bunch really quickly. I can see that tapering off and getting into a bit more of a rhythm of certain books. And same with school. School kind of pressures you into to reading more. But yeah, shall we? Shall we? You guys, any other any other thoughts opening up before we dive into the books? Sorry, what was the final book count from everybody? I uh, managed to hit 82 books this year. And uh, interestingly enough, like nine or 10 books that I halfway finished for okay. various reasons. Um, did you guys record those halfway finished no. books? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm curious. When you say they're halfway finished, are you planning to finish them? Are those nope. like... Those, no, I, I, I put them on for page count reasons, but I have no intention of going back to them. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, I didn't add any that I didn't finish. Okay. Um, sorry, but how many? How many this, like half of the year? Sorry, this, no, that was eighty-two total. I didn't check what I read this half year. Oh, okay, okay. This half thirty-two total seventy-nine. Okay. Uh, this half twenty-eight total seventy-one. So the second half was weaker, and it was more nonfiction and more audible. Ooh. Yeah, so there's, there's some definite changes in form for the second half. Yeah, but yeah, total seventy-one. I'm happy with the amount of fiction and stuff. I have one book that I'm actively working on. It's Stephen Fry reading uh, Summer Lightning, which is a P.G. Woodhouse story. And I'm, I, I was actually hoping to have it done before now, so I'd be able to finish the P.G. Woodhouse story. It's so delightful. We can let you talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, it'd be really fun to eventually go back and like kind of look at all of our just zero other people will care about this but for ourselves like kind of see what our reading habits have been and changed over the last what now three years of doing this 
because it would be like it'd be fun to be like oh this many books but this much fiction this much nonfiction, and kind of see how we've um, moved again no one else would find that interesting but they're kind of interesting you know do you guys actually one last question before we dive in do you guys recommend other people uh record their books like we do is is that a helpful thing do you guys think or is that just us being nerdy and kind of indulgent or you like because we're looking at a spreadsheet that joe michael built that's like it's got a number it's got it's got the title the author the genre the page count what month we read it was and our notes like it's quite detailed do you guys feel like that's a good good bad or is it just us being nerds so i'm so glad you asked this question jacob um i i don't know if i recommend that people necessarily commit themselves to that level of complexity mm-hmm. it might be a little daunting they might end up sort of like stockpiling and then having to put it all in at once like i do <laughs> <laughs> but i do recommend people keep track of their books and i've said this before uh and i'll say it again that people should even if they don't record a podcast they should basically do what we're doing now mm-hmm. either you know, a couple times a year or annually, they should sit down with a few of their friends who they know are reading books and they should just do this. Take turns talking about their books, walking in a circle, to taking turns talking about books. It is such a delightful exercise. You relive the books you read. You're, you're kind of mentally preparing for it even as you're reading. I feel like it's probably increased my retention, quite mm-hmm. honestly, because I'm like, as I'm reading, I'm thinking like, what, what are my comments on this? If I had to like... If I had to explain what I'm reading here to somebody, what are my comments on this? It increases your critical reading skills. Um, and my wife and I uh, are starting uh, this year for the first time an annual book day where we will have friends of ours who we know are big readers uh, who are not on the podcast and don't have that outlet to come to our place and we're going to have a, a bunch of us. We're just going to do our, like, our top 10. Yeah. It's going to be a big enough crowd. So you wouldn't want to be like up all night. But we'll start in the afternoon. And we'll just work our way, break for dinner, work into the evening, and just do this with a That's with a cool. set of people. And we'll change the crowd. And but it's gonna be book day. And my kids are gonna. We're actually gonna be giving my eldest kids who started reading like chapter books and stuff. We're gonna give them uh, little book journals so that they can start keeping track of their books. And so that, and then we're gonna have our kids sit in on book day and watch and and see what a what a celebration of books it is and all these like, grown-ups who are so cool sitting around the place getting pumped about their books. I think it's going to be really healthy for my kids. That's so cool. You're an inspiration. Also, what a yeah, what a really interesting way to bring your children into like a culture of people who like delight in learning and 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 and, and growing themselves through understanding other perspectives and and all these things. Here's a question. How do you, more for your children, how do you plan to ward them against the hubris that comes with much learning and like the kind of competitiveness that like, because we, and we talk about this sometimes that even all these books, like we're super used to this. This is just, here are this books, are this book, but it can come across as kind of like as flexy or overly competitive. Like how many books have you read this year? How do you plan to like kind of instill a delight in learning without some of the competitive grossness that comes with like, I'm a smart person because I read these this much books. Well, for one thing, it's going to be pretty quotidian. It's just going to be like an everyday part of their lives, right? But then secondly, I think that, I, I think that it's going to help that like we have a good sense of humor about our reading, hmm. right? And that, you know, 
and the people who are I'm inviting as well to come and, and join us for book day also have really good sense of humor, right? I think sense of humor is a really good sort of like step one when you want to instill a culture of humility, right? Are we taking ourselves super seriously? No, we're joking. We're making fun of each other for the books we're reading and we're, you know, we're laughing and we're, we're, mm -hmm. it's just a delight. It's just almost more recreation than it is status, you know? Yeah. And yeah. hopefully their big takeaway is that they, my kids are just like robust, enthusiastic readers who don't even think about it as being a status thing. Yeah. Right. Man, I want to. Well, think it's, it's recreation for me and you, Owen. For them, it's it's drudgery and work. For the for the not <laughs> for fun side of the table. <laughs> That's true. Like I feel like that we actually got the mic set up perfectly here. You guys are working with your reading, and Jesse and I are just like, woo, we're curious. Yeah. Like. <laughs> cool. Cool. <laughs> all right jazz you want to you want to hit us up with your first book of the second half of the year sure let's do it okay my first book of the second half of the year i'm not gonna do that every time it's too much work exodus old and new by l michael morales um it is a book about exodus he's a he's an old testament scholar got to take some classes with him and it was lovely um he's awesome i will say though He's a way better presenter than he is a writer. Like the the writing was awesome, but but like he he like it's just super compelling in person. And then the book was also compelling, but not quite on that same level. Fun fun fact about it though, he got into chiasms in it, and I actually knew what they were because of the last podcast. So thanks for that. Doctor Hamilton would be so proud. We'll go clock clockwise clockwise. Oh, okay. okay. Um, <clears throat> I love how this is starting off, Jesse, that you read a, a book on Exodus and I'm starting with this book because uh, it's going to revert back to its normal order pretty quickly. But I read Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief by Rick Riordan. That was my first book of the second half. Um, and I read all of them. So I think I can probably, I'm just gonna take a little more airtime to talk about them and then just kind of go through them. So I read, you know, Lightning Thieves, Sea of Monsters, Titan's Curse, Battle of the Labyrinth, and the last one, Heroes of Olympus, I think. Did you have a question, Jesse? I was just going to say, I've been scared to read them because oh, I'm no, worried so that good. they won't slap the nope. way they did when they're I was a kid. Awesome. Do they? Yeah, they're really good. Okay, I'll reread them. <laughs> the first book, I think this is a little bit like Harry Potter, where the first couple books, you're like, man, this was really aimed at 12-year-olds. But they grow up, they were supposed to grow up with you, right? So the 12-year-old who started reading was a 16 or 17-year-old by the end. And they're really, he's, he's very good at writing characters. And like, I... I, they were delightful. They were really fun to read. I was like, every part of me was like, yeah, gods and, and magic powers and like all this different, <laughs> all the pagan gods. Yeah. yeah, let's go. I, I really, really enjoyed them. Um, I thought they were incredibly well written. And I was in it for the romances. The ro <laughs> it is. I ha I hated. <laughs> I was always like embarrassed that like how invested I would get in those storylines as a kid, but I'd be like, but they put them in for a reason. Like they knew kids cared about that stuff. He he does it really interesting because it's actually a very subtle theme. Like it isn't just all built around. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And they don't. They kind of just get together at the end, but it's very quiet. Like just conclusion. To yeah, the story. no, it's not the driving thing of the story. I probably would have been annoyed by that. But yeah, um, I these, was. Yeah. Anyway, cool. I, really, I will. I'll reread those at some really point. Really enjoyed reading them. They're really fun. Have you read them? Any I've still never read a, one of these Percy Jackson books okay. of which you speak. I don't know if they're like, oh, like a really aggressive record. They're not like Harry Potter as a recommend. Like Harry Potter is like, no, you really got to read those. You got to read this. These ones are like, no, they're just so good. Yeah, yeah, give them a read. But like, if you never get around to it, it'll be like, okay. Okay. So anyways, 
that's uh that's mine i read five of those and and again you could read them like i read each one like two hours but they're they're great uh i read the search for god in guinness by oh. stephen mansfield yeah so this is really good things about this one yeah it, i would say first comment i don't know if it was super well written there were a few times i was like mm, like the just the writing was maybe less quality but the story was so good that it forgave all of that just walking through the history of guinness beer and the christian men and women behind it the lineage of the guinness family and all the different things that they did just a really cool family and basically they said we we have mainly two types of guinness brothers either pastors or brewers and both of them did god's work uh, and that was what I found really inspiring about the book was the Guinness company started like a village for their their workers to create uh, good jobs and good living conditions for their families that were working for them. They would do training for the, the women uh, to give them good jobs they could do at home, like really, really cool stuff through the war. Like Guinness has been around for a long time. Uh, and I just thought that's a cool vision for a company kind of reminded me of like Chick-fil-A actually uh, Though I think Chick-fil-A is maybe a little bit less less so than them But I actually I wish it also had gone further to the present like I don't really know what Guinness is up to now But good book All right. Um, before I actually mention my first book, one of the things I, I was re-listening to some of the episodes of some of our previous book podcasts. And you know what? I, as I was reflecting on it, sorry, my voice is like breaking, going all over the place. But Dude, you have no idea how attractive you sound, though. Oh, do I? Yeah, oh, no, it wow. sounds great. I'm sorry I that really you're I really hope my wife that. is listening to this right now. Okay. <laughs> but uh, as I was listening to some of the previous episodes, one of the things I was reflecting on, I was like, you know what? I'm not very good at explaining what the books are that I've been reading. We all do this. Right? We're all like, going to be like, okay, here's the book. Here's <laughs> the author. Here's what I thought. Yeah, and people, right, people, I'm listening going, literally, if I didn't know, I would have no idea what this book is about. I'm such an idiot. So I was actually like, I was trying to like really purposefully think about like, how will I go into these books and make sure that I summarize them. So at the very least, someone has no idea. They can be like, okay, I know what the subject of the book is that he's talking about. And like, and also, honestly, sometimes even when I try to do that, I feel like I'm not good at summarizing. Like I could not write the back cover of books, you know? <laughs> to be fair, like most of those are garbage. Like sometimes you read the back of the book and you're like, I'm glad I read the book before I like really read this because this would have, I don't know. Sometimes they're just really awfully written. My favorite thing is, um, I, I can't quote it, but the synopsis of The Lord of the Rings. On, on the, the back, back of the, like, the, the VHS It's so packages? funny. It's yeah. like, Frodo and his trusty companion travel across Mordor to destroy Literally. the Ring of Doom. And you're like, I guess that's the summary, but that Frodo sounds Frodo and awful. his ragtag group of misfits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my least favorite description of fantasy stuff. A ragtag group of misfits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my my first book for this half of the year is entitled Written in Stone. It's by Christopher Stevens. It is a book on etymology. Um, and so he is, he's going back, he's talking about like, uh, like proto languages and stuff like that. But he's, it's, it's very, the way he writes it is it's almost, you got like a stream of consciousness type of thing going on where he'll be like, oh, we're going to talk about this. But then as he goes, he'll be like, I, I wish I had an example right off the top of my head here, but he'll cascade from one word in its etymology and there'll be a connection to this other word and this other set. And then he'll sort of like cascade into that. 
ultimately, not a very good book. So, <laughs> so see, what I've done is I've summarized it. I've given you a sense of what's going on. And now I'm telling you, it's crap. No, I, <laughs> Uh, first of all, it's it's not academic at all. Um, so like he's not he's not sourcing or referencing as he goes, uh, which sucks um, because that would be that would be useful. Um, and secondly, sometimes you're listening to it and you're like, mm. there's something called folk etymology, right? Which is basically like urban myths of etymology. <laughs> and they, like, people will be like, oh yeah, this is how we came by this word. And it's like, ah, there's actually no evidence that that's how we came by that word, right? And it seems like he indulges in some of that. And then when I went and I looked up reviews and some other people's thoughts on it, especially people who are adept in some of the other languages that he kind of like crosses into as he's discussing stuff, they'll be like, yeah, like he, get, he, he gets really incompetent all over the place. So unfortunately, not a recommend. Um, it's very easy to listen to and it's actually quite a pleasure because of this sort of like almost sing-song rhythm of stream of consciousness that I think he's got going on where it's like, ooh, now we're working, talking about this word and oh, this is the way this word gets used. Now we're talking about this word. This is the way... And... You, you're like, oh, this is so much fun. It's too bad it's it's not verifiable or useful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does he have like a, a doctorate in this subject? Like it seems weird someone would tackle this without knowing what they talk about. It, you it know? seems like a weirdly casual approach. Hmm. Um, I, I do know I l tried to look into like what his background was, but I couldn't figure it out. Interesting. Yeah. Mm, cool. That was yeah. really funny because you were talking about it i was literally reaching my hands up to the laptop as you were talking to take note that i wanted to read this book and then you were like it's garbage and my hands just fell um anyway anything else you want to say about that one Owen? okay my second book is what is the mission of the church by greg gilbert and kevin DeYoung. have you guys read this book no but i listen Jake to was fist pumping well so. i listen to greg gilbert's preaching like every other sunday oh go, where I, third um, okay. So he's he's a pastor. Third has a second service, and so often I'll go to their to their evening service because um, mm -hmm. my church doesn't have one. So yeah. So the the like the premise is basically. I mean, I actually love the title. I love really straightforward titles. Um, and it's basically just like, hey, social justice and the Great Commission and culture making and all these things are really important. But what's like the the mission of the church? Because if everything's a mission, nothing is. Mm. Great premise for sure. Um, and I will commend it to say it was incredibly balanced and fair. Whenever they would talk about a view they were critiquing, they would try to represent it really well. So I really appreciated that. I wouldn't say I found everything in it really compelling. It's not even like I dramatically disagreed. I just sometimes was like, I'm just not compelled. Even though you represented both sides fairly and tried to critique it, I just did not find it compelling always. Uh, but it's important to note that like, like I think I just found some of John Mark Comer's stuff about the mission of the church or even like Andy Crouch's culture making stuff to be more compelling. However, it is important to note, this is only arguing what the church as an institution's mission is and not what individual Christians missions is. For example, like part of your mission as a human might be to love your wife as your own body, but that is not the mission of the church. So when you make that distinction, I can, I can get on board with pretty much everything they said. So what is the mission of the church, according to Greg? They would more, I mean, this is oversimplifying, but more or less they're arguing that it's the Great Commission. I, you read the book, it's, it's, that is a bit of an oversimplification, but I think, so one, one chapter they really had, sorry if this is getting too into this one, but they, they had a chapter called wide angle lens versus narrow angle lens. And they basically said like, okay, some people in the church take a wide angle lens view of the gospel. And they basically say like the gospel is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and therefore 
in that is salvation and the message of like redemption, but then also sort of the message of redemption of all things in the church's place. So it's kind of everything. And then some people take a very narrow lens view and they say, no, all those things are byproducts of the gospel, but the actual gospel is just that Christ came to save sinners or some variation of like substitutionary atonement or something like that. They basically tried to represent both sides very fairly and then said, we take the side of the latter, that it's more of a narrow lens view. And because of that, this is like what the mission of the church is. That's just what I didn't find compelling. Again, I, I, fa- I thought they represented both sides fairly, but then I didn't feel like they really took down the other view. So I would, I would definitely lean more towards a wide angle lens view of the gospel, at least as of recently. And because of that, I think it's actually difficult to summarize the missions of the church. So it's all well and good to say like, yeah, if everything is missions, then nothing is. And therefore like we can't just call any social justice stuff mission. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if the Bible is always as cut and dry or like thinks about things quite in like this sort of specific terms that we do in our culture. So I, again, it's not that I like disagreed with everything. I just didn't quite find it like mega compelling. This isn't a book that I would be like, everyone needs to read this mm-hmm. pretty good book. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. It's interesting. I've had a lot of um, debates with friends over this semester, weirdly enough on uh, the definition of the gospel Okay, or what the core of the gospel is. Have you read what is the gospel? Cause mm-hmm. that's, that's a book I'm part way through right now okay. by Greg Gilbert. Yeah, I think it's um, like kind of like a sister book to this a little mm-hmm. bit. I'm curious what you think. I haven't read it. I don't have a really concise summary. Someone someone asked me the other day to share the gospel in 60 seconds. And that was a really interesting exercise to do that on the spot. But like, yeah, I'm yeah. not quite convinced that it's, it's as cut as dry as we make it out to be. Like, I think there's a bit more mystery involved. Maybe that's a cop out, but. Yeah. Um, next book, Tracers in the Dark by Andy Greenberg. Okay. Who else read it? Owen, no, not okay. Owen. Okay, Two it th- was so good. Yeah, like I, I'm pretty sure that's one of the handful of books this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm 90 percent sure it is. That uh, I guess my new metric for judging if a book is incredible is if, at least an audiobook, is if I'm literally like 11 o'clock at night in my bed, lights off with my headphones still in because I just can't turn this stupid thing off. <laughs> that was me too. I was like making up excuses to go for walks so I could listen to <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it was so good. Uh, Tracers in the dark. It's basically a history, or it's like a. It goes through a bunch of different stuff of like cybercrime and, um, and like the dark web and just all those themes. And it kind of flits through multiple different stories. Would you say that's fair, Jess? It goes through like three main stories that they've chosen that were like the most interesting and kind of dealt with yeah somewhat and different aspects of it. Yeah, it's got some heavier themes because specifically one. Yeah, because it's like, you know, if you think of cybercrime and black, you know, there's child trafficking and stuff like that. Obviously, the bad guy or the good guys are trying to shut that down. So, it's just I you can't overstate how interesting it all is. Yeah, and and like, I talked about this in the last podcast, but that section about child pornography I thought they tried to handle it incredibly yeah. like, yeah. like, um, responsibly. Yeah. Responsibly. They didn't, they, I, I, yeah. I mean, just the entire concept of it and talking about it for any length of time is horribly disturbing. So yeah. huge warning to anybody listening, but I thought they handled it professionally for lack of a better term. I would also say this is a book like clearly if you're interested in the idea of like cybercrime and, and like, 
uh, and digital currencies and all these kind of crazy ideas and like CIA. It's literally a cops and robbers story. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. If you're interested, definitely listen to it. If you're not interested, I would still so recommend this because <laughs> this is a great book to kind of get you into the world a little bit of the complexities of like online criminal stuff. Like it's pretty accessible and I would say it's the most interesting version of this I think you'll find. I found it so fascinating. This would be spoilers for later, but did you read American Kingpin? No. No, that you I think we said like if you're gonna read one book, read that, and so I just read that one. Okay. Yeah, I mean they're not really in competition. Sure. But at all. They're very, just, they're really different. Didn't but that's okay. Allocate the brain space for both. No, that's so. fine. Jamaica, 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 what did you think? Really good. Yeah, I really like Jess and I listened to it together. Oh, cool. And uh yeah, we always have a book on the go together. So enjoyable. Like, I think it helped me understand also cryptocurrency a lot better. I still f- feel like, I think I get it. Pretty sure I get it. And then there's like little details that I'm like, okay, that's kind of fallen through the cracks for me. Um, but like you were, all the things you were saying, Jake, I totally agree with. Uh, yeah, the the child pornography section really like just thumped me it was like oof um yeah because the rest of the book i was kind of like you almost you almost want the you got you kind of said this you almost want the bad guys to win because it's uh they're just doing so many crazy creative things with like the the wild west of cybercrime, and then when it came to the child pornography section it's just like i want you all dead like i'm saying that extremely i don't you know but that's my um, emotional reaction to it. It's like, I absolutely hate these people who are doing this. Uh, and I just don't feel you, that you way. You want the cops to catch them so bad, so fast. You're like, yeah, yeah. like you guys are the scum of the earth. Like anyways, it's, but it's a such a, it's such a good book. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, other than that, it was, it just felt like solid entertainment. It, it was like a book that I wanted to, to keep going. Um, okay, this is probably a longer conversation, but The Jewel of Seven Stars by Bram Stoker. Okay. We're getting into it. Okay. Did we all read it? uh, We did. Or did we? Okay. I'm wondering, can we just tell people who are interested in reading it to like skip ahead like two minutes in the podcast or or however many minutes so that we can just talk about this in a spoiler free zone or sorry, a spoiler like allowed zone? spoiler alert this is a spoiler i would love to just space. be able to talk about spoilers with this one I, talk about the ending I, yeah well we can't talk because owen couldn't do that he was like just read it i can't talk about okay the ending, here's but- the question do you guys find it that good of a book that you want people to like read no, it? i was like i was pretty mad on it okay overall. i was not mad on it i if it had had an amazing ending it would have been one of my favorite books of the year Whoa. i loved it <laughs> except for the ending okay yeah i feel similar actually i love Same. this genre and i was like it's building. It's building. This is huge. And and the characters were good. Like, yeah. Like, like he his internal dialogue was like very relatable. I wanna clarify. I did enjoy the read a lot. Yep. It was just not one that I'm like immediately like, so piece of fiction, and I'm like pulling out Bram Stoker, like, let's go. Yeah, I mean it wasn't it wasn't like writing of a caliber where you were mind blown by it, but it was such high quality. I felt like not high quality in terms of being fancy or like yeah. Or, or overly showy, but just like, oh, this is like a, a legit writer. Okay, well, let's, let's, uh, good habits. So, someone want to give a quick plot summary that's kind of not like a, a hook plot summary, and then we'll dive into actually. Okay, well, so it was basically this, you know, it's, it's first person, it's first person, right? Yeah, first person of this, um, 
like ju- barrister, like a, 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 a judge. A, no, a lawyer. Lawyer. It was a lawyer. Okay. So he's a lawyer. He get, meets this girl. Um, and then this girl, like just kind of casual. And then the girl's like, Hey, uh, my dad just like went unconscious. Can you help me? Like just really doesn't know her super well. He comes over and it's like, this kind of launches into this plot of like, yo, your dad's into this unconscious state. No one's really quite know, quite know why is this criminal? Is this, is this, and, uh, and, there's he's, all this... and he's left a note that is basically like, leave me like, like it, make if sure something there's... really bad were to happen to me. And then like, well, like you don't call that. Don't call the cops. Yeah. Don't like bring me to a doctor. Just make sure there's like one man and one woman watching me at all times yeah. and don't move any of the artifacts in my room. Yeah, and it's and, like, and crucially what? leave me in the room. And that kind of kicks off this whole wait out. I was hooked immediately. I was like, what is this premise? Yeah. And so I think that's the spoiler free section. You figure that all out in the first few pages. Um, now skip ahead a few minutes. Maybe if you don't want to be spoiled, I guess. All right. So it ends. Oh, wait, yeah, okay, well, what thing. happens at the ending? That's the big question for me. I actually genuinely am not 100% clear on what happened at the end. Okay, so so whoa, okay. So in his second ending, which is the one I think we all read first, yeah. right? Yeah. So we all read his revised ending first. Right. I'm like 100% sure that the queen got reincarnated in the girl. That's what I think. Wait, is that the second ending or is that the... No. Yeah, because when they get married, because when they get married, had this like the, the the scar on her wrist too. But that was like so much earlier in the book when yeah, you yeah. saw that she had a scar on her wrist. I'm like, okay. wait, how long has she been the queen? See, I think I think he intentionally left that really vague. But I think there was something about her resurrection that was another embodied. Like it was almost. I think she went the full send, and it was a full integration of some kind. Because he said right at the end, he's like. She's she he because right at the end he goes he kind of expressed sadness that we never got this the queen to see to see the queen like that she never rose from the dead and then he writes she got that slightly wistful look in her eye that she gets on occasion and said oh I don't think she'll mind I think she lived a full life or whatever and I think that was just like tipping the hat to being like yeah the queen's there she's enjoying the love of her life through her in a way that was like integrated that couldn't have been done before. I think it was a, like a. I, that's what I got. Like, like I, I thought. I also thought that the queen was reincarnated, but I was so confused by the fact that you had a reference to her having the scar on her wrist from when like her hand got cut off earlier, like oh, earlier in the book with the birthmark. She because like the was the, the, the bu- young girl oh, already had the remark on her wrist from when the tomb r- robbers mm-hmm. cut her when she was. A, See, he didn't describe that well because like he saw the birth. He's because they called it a birthmark, and I was immediately like, no, that was a clue. <laughs> Okay. Why are you just dropping birthmarks? That's not a thing. <laughs> Interesting. I, so, I mean, obviously we knew like there was that near the end of the book, there's that tension of like, yeah. hey, the girl's the queen. What is going on? I mean, can you imagine from the guy's point of view how terrifying that is? You're like falling in love with this girl and all of a sudden being like, hey, so you're sort of the reanimated presence of a 30 or like a 6,000 year old witch. Things. So that's going to be awkward for a lot of reasons for child rearing like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. worship your ancestors so um, it's really interesting though to me that that Bram Stoker went back after a few years and he changed the book right so he had his first ending which seemed to just like have a lot of people die and stuff yeah so can we talk about that like first ending yeah do, I didn't do read you guys, it do you guys know why he changed it though no it's it's like almost for sure I, I did a lot of research into it afterwards it's it's because I was so curious. Yeah, it was like basically the publishers were like, this book is garbage and that's why it's not performing well. 
you need to change the ending. And like he pushed back for a long time, but then they finally talked him into it. So it was mostly not because he wanted to like for story reasons. Well, they, they just thought like, they're like, why would anyone want to read this book? And it doesn't make sense. So then he wrote another ending that was happier, but also didn't really make sense. So like, I, I just, the chapter. yeah, kind of. Did you, I, I read them side to side and it does remove a chapter, but it's not actually like really a different length necessarily. You, anyway, well, wait, well, it, I, I it needed to part. be removed for the, what, what did he remove? Yeah. You talk about it on. I, I honestly, so I think Jesse's right. I think that the publishers were like, you got to change this up. Um, but he removed, I can't remember what chapter it was. There was, there was one chapter where he removed this huge chunk in which basically the main character just like walks out. It's when they're like at the, they're, they're, they're getting ready for the reincarnation ceremony type thing. Right. Yeah. Um, people listening to this are going to be like, this sounds like a weird book guys. Um, it, it is a weird book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's like walking around outside. And he's having these bizarre, like, like cosmic reflections about like, yes, I remember the, this. the origins of the universe and like, but it goes on for page after page after page of him just being like, you know, what is matter and man? And like, it's, it's bizarre and heavy. I'm just like, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Dude, I would have noped out of that so fast. There's no <laughs> way you could have gotten into that story. Yeah. I feel like the, the alternate ending doesn't change my confusion about the incarnation thing that happened. Cause in one case it's like, okay, you get a little bit more evil witch lady and she kills half the people, but doesn't kill him, you know, because of the, the, the love relationship. And then in the other one, it's like, okay, everybody survives. And she also somehow incarnated in the girl. But in his first version, there is no love. She's gone. Like, in, yeah, in like everybody dies, including presumably queen tiara right or is it unclear whether no because he, he said he he grabs his his what's his girl's name again what was her name i forget all their Ooh, names rip anyways he grabs his girl who faints as well in the original ending brings her upstairs comes back finds out that everyone's dead goes back to her and doesn't find her she's gone oh and that's how it ends and so oh, it's, yeah you're right it's very much like okay girl's gone reincarnation question mark and everybody dead except me it's like dum-dum it's really 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 brutal in the second version it's like obscenely happy it's like yeah everyone like, survives and we all got married and they it's all like got married it's just, and it's so fast too it's just like everyone gets dun, a new dun, car dun. and then it's yeah. just like and so we married and you're like whoa yeah it's interesting i don't know what's the point of the book that that is a good question because i didn't pick up on that like some people talked about how it was like actually about like women's liberation and stuff and I, some scholars and i was like not even saying it's good or bad just commenting on it and like i didn't pick up on any of those themes i was just enjoying the story at face value uh, do you guys have any thoughts on on meaning i would like to tell you how i would have written the book um in <laughs> please do okay this is how i would have written it i would have made it slightly more subtle throughout the course of the book that she was being reincarnated. Assuming that is what happened. We don't actually know that she was the reincarnation of Queen Tiara, but I would have made a bit more, the themes of that happening a bit more subtle so that not every reader would get it except for maybe some. And then, and then in the very end, it's actually clear that that's what happened to like most readers, maybe not to all the characters, but like it's clear to the readers and they're like, Oh, the experiment failed. But then you as the reader are like, no, it didn't fail. It was actually just not, gonna take place the way that you thought it would i think that would 
I think he could have clarified, but then like made the ending more clear, but made the rest of the book less clear. Does that make sense? Because I, I felt like I was like, oh, I really see where this is going. And then the end, I was like, wait, was she? It also It's also confusing because there's obviously some kind of incarnation already there throughout the whole book. And is this like an yeah. extra incarnation? Is like that's unclear too. Whereas if it was if the whole book was like something very clearly she's not incarnated, but somehow being prepared, like you're getting hints like, oh wait, this is like a body being prepared for then it would yeah. be like, oh you know? Okay, and that's that's part of the thing is I am genuinely curious about the role of the the daughter the entire time like even the fact that she ropes this random barrister into coming and helping out who she's just met that's weird it's weird that she'd be like yo you gotta be here it's like she's operating as a sort of like servant familiar to the queen the entire time and again she's got the scar she's got and her backstory like her her dad's story with like her mom and like you know like he he received this like magical child kind of thing is it itself is a little weird like were we just lulled by her attractiveness and beauty from the first pages and we missed how heavy-handed he was he's like no, no she she's been bad sinister. news the whole time like she's literally orchestrating the, her body she's orchestrating her own form coming back Totally, totally. That was why I was so hooked is I was like, I think as soon as we heard a bit of the backstory of like his story with the daughter, I was immediately like, okay, so she's like a major player in this. And I, I was, I loved the whole like mystery of it. I wish the ending had felt stronger to me because I want to love this book. It's funny because as I was reading it, I could not put it down. I was like plowing it at all times Same. and then you know how many chores i did that week <laughs> and then i recommended it to a couple people as i was doing it and i hadn't finished it yet <laughs> they started reading it mistake. after me i finished it i was like okay i still really enjoyed it but it was kind of weird and then those people who i recommended it to came back to me and was like i hated it it sucked it ended so weird and then they also don't really like that genre so I, I think I recommend it to three people and they all hated it. Okay, so. I should say like the expectations played a big thing into it because um, Owen really sold it to us as like this book is bizarre. So I was expecting it to be like hard to read and like weird the entire way. And then it was like actually an accessible story that's like easy to read. Like it's just, it's just a nice... Sure, but I wasn't, I was like ready for like, for like the book of revelations. And I was like, <laughs> so then... I think like if I told someone, wow, this is an amazing piece of fiction. You have to read it. They might be really disappointed. I kind of came in with like low slash weird expectations and then was surprised at what a just <laughs> awesome story it was. I like, love nicely this genre. Like Same. Bram Stoker, Dracula. I love that book. <clears throat> yeah. It's the, the, I don't like horror. I like eeriness. And this book was certainly eerie. Yeah. The sort of like, br- I don't know, like thriller. Is he British? Yeah. Like sort of British, sort of British vibe. Like I really like that. And a- ancient stuff is always interesting. Yes, like just and the, ancient. Whenever like they were like disturbing the tomb, and you knew that something terrible was going to happen to the people, and you're just like, Ooh. somebody's going to get murdered. <laughs> it's like shivers down your spine while you're mopping the floor. He did a really good job of not being heavy-handed with the creepiness. It was a mm-hmm. subtle, and yeah, it was, and it was not anything like, like dun dun da, a million dead bodies. It was just no like, no, no jump scares, nothing weird. It was just like you're just constantly. Sometimes the hand creepy. was kind of a jump scare. 
but it's hard to have a jump scare in a book <laughs> this, book, floating hand. this book is so like like i think there's gonna be a lot of people who want to read this just because they're like i how could you possibly tie everything you guys are talking about into one novel okay and it's like you can read it but read it with the expectations i read it with not with the expectations that poor jermichael's friends read it with yeah that, that was my bad i think we should keep keep, going keep, keep us all right, I think I think I'm next. Uh, my next book is Me, uh, Myself, and Bob, by Phil Vischer. These are mostly repeats so far, in a good well, way. Well, yeah, because I think we're like we started out by reading the books that other people were recommending last <laughs> podcast. Well, and what's bad is like I didn't read Jewel of Seven Stars until right at the end, but I have to talk about it because you guys are. So it's kind of like whoever jumped on a reco first. Now we all have to talk about it. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. I actually kind of like it though. Um, I like the fact that we do have overlap where we have some books where we've all read these books and we can like, we can actually share our thoughts, uh, and get different perspectives. So me, myself and Bob, this is a story about the animation studio, big idea that made VeggieTales. Uh, it's written by the guy who started it and it's just kind of like a, yeah, a sort of memoir about what that experience was like. Um, so the rise and fall of VeggieTales, um, I do recommend the audiobook because Phil Vischer reads it to you and he is the voice of Bob the Tomato, so that's going to be great for you. So <laughs> it's just like you have Bob the Tomato like morosely telling you how his company went bankrupt. <laughs> 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 but um, actually really, really interesting and like a very sincere Christian man who really wanted to actually produce like like have a creative studio that was going to do good and he put a lot of effort into it and a lot of work into excellence um but then scaling the operation is what what got him am i right in sort of like summarizing it in that way yeah like it was it was it was knowing how to scale without tripping over your own feet seems to be just a giant challenge for any kind of startup people it's wild. Well, especially because the person who's a starter and the person who's a scaler, like a manage, like a, a CEO, is often not the same person. Yeah. Well, he ended up being like persuaded that he needed to bring all these different all these different like talents onto the team that ended up basically, yeah, sinking the ship. It, it was wild. Yeah. But uh honestly, pretty strong recommend, even if you're not into veggie tales. Mm. Um if you are, then you should definitely be reading it. But <laughs> how did it how did it impact you personally, like as a creative reading another creative's kind of work, um, or or thought process? I guess. I guess I how did it impact me? I would say that it made me think a lot more about what it looks like to scale your work, hmm. um, but also it's sort of like that mission drift question, right? Like mm. it, it made me think about you know at what point in the story have you stepped away from your sort of like starting ethos? And because he did, obviously at some point in the story, he's looking around and they're like, you know, they're, he's, he's, he's wondering if they're actually on the same mission they were on initially. And he's got, instead of like it being his like really scrappy few guys who are just like rushing these VHS out. Right. All of a sudden he's got like giant operation. They're producing Jonah and, um, but the thing is going bankrupt. Right. Yeah. And, he's got all these people working there who like aren't Christian and don't really get the vision and aren't really about it as much. Um, and people who want him to like tone down the Jesus talk in their, and he's like, this is basically a ministry. What are you talking about? Right. So like, it was really interesting to me to see him trying to kind of like stand strong in the studio, but also having it sort of like 
pulled out from him. Mm. So I don't know how much that like impacts me in the sense like it made me change the way I was running my creative studio. You know, it didn't do that. Um, I don't have a studio. So, uh, but it was, it was really food for thought and reference points for future thinking. Mm. Oh, and I just want to say that like, that was everything you just said in the last five minutes was so eloquent. Like, like you just said a bunch of like really nice turns of phrases that summarize things really well. And then you ended it with like a nice little unintentional play on runs with food for thought. And it was just like, I just, I'm excited to go back and re-listen Jesse to that was, part. Jesse was doing a little worship over there. <laughs> yes. I Yeah. Monk hands. Doing the, yeah. Monk hands. Okay. My next book was me, you and wait, is it me and you forever? Probably you and me forever by Francis Chan. Um, has anyone read this? What'd you think? I read it like, three years ago oh, i remember okay. quite enjoying it but i mean it was three years ago so yeah i thought it was good um i th- i think again he's someone who's a stronger presenter than he is a writer um although maybe some people will really like the writing style but i thought had lots of good content and brought up some really good points that i rarely hear in evangelical marriage books about the idolization of marriage and children and how problematic that is um you don't often hear that in a marriage book. Usually they're talking about how people don't prioritize it enough. And he was like, Hey, sometimes y'all are worshiping this. Um, and also how that has a negative impact on your spouse and your children. Um, there was like a funny quote about like, we have, um, spoiled our children and expected them to thank us for it and have received the opposite or something like that is an interesting quote. Um, Okay. Also, one of my profs is a very good friend of his and was kind of helped with some of the writing of it. And apparently the original title was Marriage Isn't That Great, but publishers wouldn't take it. And so it ended up with this extremely generic title, Me and You Forever, which is like, how does a title go from so good to so bad that fast? Yeah, because that title is like, it sounds so floofy. Yeah, if it hadn't been Francis Chan and it wasn't short and it wasn't sitting on a coffee table near to me, I you might not have read forever. it. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not saying marriage isn't that great is a good title, but yeah, well, it did make me think oh, about our last so conversation. I was like, are they just the big record labels that are like trying to water people's music down? But anyway, whatever. I I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm sure publishers are great. It's it's funny because I I've talked to and, and know not super well um, one of the acquisitions guys at Crossway. And like I like love his work, their work they do so much like them like workshopping books and like wrestling so it's kind of just like on one hand it's like you have a few creative people who are like their gut is right and it's like no that is what the title should be but often there's like no you, you need to your stuff needs to be polished for the masses your content's good but there's a few things you know what I mean and that's what their job is I guess sure anyway that's all I gotta say it's cool. good good book. My next book is The Inimitable Jeeves by P.G. Woodhouse. Nice. The first P.G. Woodhouse that I've actually read, um, I think. Uh, Owen, Owen, at some time ago, either to me personally or on the podcast, I think it was on the podcast, said that P.G. Woodhouse, reading P.G. Woodhouse, is like Raphael painting Garfield. <laughs> it's, it is a, it's a Raphael. And it's also Garfield, which is, I think, verbatim what you just said yesterday. And that is the best description I have for, for that I've ever found for PG Woodhouse. It is so good. You, like, you, every person must read one PG Woodhouse in their life because you will have never encountered the English language used 
in, oh, in, in such a sublime and beautiful way. The way, the way I describe this is like I was I listened to this on the drive back home right after we, pretty much right after we recorded the podcast, and I, I was about to drive back to Louisville and I had a, a thing of water that I got at McDonald's and I couldn't drink the water because I was just giggling so much I was just constantly giggling and I had to pause it take a deep breath drink the water place the water in the cup holder and then turn it back on again because it's so funny it's just you're nonstop laughing. It's such. A, it's it's so good. The plot. It, who cares? Don't the plot. I'm not going to tell you what it's about. It doesn't Literally matter. Don't even. Can it you imagine explaining like a plot? plot? Yeah. Yeah. Listen. What the plot is is irrelevant. Read the book. It's so funny. It's oh no! So I've <laughs> placed a foolish bet on a sack race, and now I have to sabotage my cousin's mailman. And the best part is that's the plot for the whole book. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh no, my metal cement is coming over to tea. How do I stop this from happening? Like the amount of times he used the words biffed and like like, absolutely biffed but also it feels like he never reuses the same word it's like are any of these real slang words or or is he some sort of shakespeare of of british literature just making up new beautiful words that should be adopted i'm not gonna lie i think that shakespeare is actually the shakespeare of british literature but (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) dude that's like the rolls royce of cars bro you're right sorry not quite what i meant to say but you Whatever. The, twi- the, the 20th century Shakespeare. Yes. Good tip. Anyways, that's all I have to say for that. Keep busting. Jess and I also read those this year, so I'll just kind of quick jump in on that. It was so fun to read those together. Oh. We would do it on date nights, and we'd be like, did Jess just like chuckling. them? Oh yeah, we oh, both love them. We like listened to the first three in that collection set on oh, by Audible. Stephen Fry. Like yes, the re- with the Stephen reading? Fry. Oh, so good. That just made it even better. Like you get Stephen Fry reading it to you delightful uh so my next book the case against the sexual revolution by lewis perry really cool book this one uh written by how would you describe her jake she's uh, an atheist former feminist writing kind of a reflection to her former like colleagues friends group of people basically just making secular arguments against why the sexual revolution for women has really ended up being bad uh and why modern feminism is totally destructive to former uh you know high views of women because even just things like you have to recognize that women exist if you're going to fight for their rights um pretty short book too so like jake and i read both read it for a class in one week and then got together to discuss it with the class uh, really just I, I enjoyed it a lot coming from a different perspective so I'm, I'm curious so it, it, it sounds like you're endorsing it no no you're not sorry I again I read it as well because you make I, it sound so good in oh, the it beginning is, it is okay. incredibly interesting to read okay that sounds I, like an endorsement to me interesting she, and she I think ostensibly would still be a feminist she I was going to ask that. where does yeah. she end up then because that's she, she sounds like an interesting she, person she's really it's it's actually her, her premise is quite good. She's writing for the girls. She's writing towards it. She's writing, but like she's like she knows her audience, and she's like, look, I know, like you're 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 a bunch of girls. You're in the 21st century. You've probably been taught a bunch of stuff. I'm I'm, I'm here for you. Like so she writes very winsomely for a completely different audience, 
but like i feel she's the kind of person i feel like if you got on one-on-one with our climate the conservative she'd probably be like look i got some critiques for you conservatives but like let's both agree that we've lost our mind right in the sexual revolution like we completely lost our mind she'd be like totally on board with us mostly but then the way she writes is much more winsomely in it to it's so interesting reading someone who writes for an audience this still says, sounds like a recommend just so okay clear. Yeah. it's <laughs> so it's graph it's it's more frank and graphic than it needs to be so she's just kind of like so she kind of has that like atheist thing where she's like that atheist thing. no or sorry so that's, sorry, that's not the atheist let's be proper the, the sort of that um secularism that's like Casual hookups are really bad for you. Of course, if it works for you, then it's fine. Like, I don't want to dissuade you. Like, you are, you woman, you have, girl, you have the right to do whatever you want to do. But casual hookups are, are really bad. They're kind of bad. Like, they're really bad for women, blah, 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 all those things. But but at the end of the day, like, you do you. You are empowered. I'm not here to take away your choice. I just want to let you know. And she kind of pivots between this weird, like, no, I, I'm not actually going to cement anything I'm saying as objectively true because I can't. I'm just going to warn you. And in that sense, it's probably helpful, actually. Like, to if, if some girl was like, some 16-year-old read the book, I think they'd have a much better idea of, honestly, a much better idea of God's design for sexuality. Like, she cuts through a lot of nonsense, but never grounds that in any objective truth, which just makes it a very fascinating read, but not one that I would recommend to most people. When you say it's, it's like, like graphic, do you mean like she like talks, does she describe things in a way that it would be triggering or rough or... A couple, yeah. There are, there are a couple times, sometimes just her overall language. I, I'd say the biggest, less a not recommend for me because of that, more a not recommend if it's like, you're only going to read a few books about sexuality. Uh, I wouldn't say start here. If you're the kind of person who's interested in reading someone who's not a Christian, their perspective on, it's just such a specific book. Obviously for Jake and I, and I'd say for any of you, like for you both, this would be a really cool book to read. But for someone who only reads a, a couple books, maybe a year on sexuality, I would say start somewhere else. And her conclusions were by far the weakest p- part. She would make really compelling arguments. <laughs> and then the period would be like, yeah, but like it's all relative anyways. And season kind of period. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and then sort of it peters off, makes another great argument in the next chapter. And then it just sort of, falls flat again it just really also really reminded me that like you need a personal god to like be the authority behind all this stuff because otherwise you do you dude like we need a god in heaven to go hey uh one day i'm actually gonna put the force of my personality behind all of my moral edicts and it's not good for you if you don't listen to me you need that in christianity or else everything else is just the best suggestion you can have you know what i mean and then I also read Tracers in the Dark by Andy Greenberg, which we already talked about. All right. My my next book is Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas. Ah. Um, this is interesting. So do you guys know who Eric Metaxas is? Yeah, he, he's like a conservative commentator, and then he wrote the Bonhoeffer biography. So, yeah, I, I know him primarily as a biographer. Yeah. Um, he wrote the the William Wilberforce biography as well, um, and the Bonhoeffer biography. Uh, he does yeah like social and Christian commentary. So this is like a it's kind of like an epistle to the American Church, saying you know smarten up, kind of in the Pauline tradition. Um, but he, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think he, I don't think that he would uh, say it like that. I think that he'd probably have more humility than that. But um, he 
leans pretty heavily, I think, on the the work that he did in writing like William Wilberforce and Bonhoeffer biographies and saying like, oh, this is the, here are some figures in Christianity's history who, who resisted or stood up to or changed the culture that they found themselves in. Here's what that looked like. Here's how that should be inspiring us. You know, the American church is, is selling out for like a, a very affordable gospel and we need to take our responsibility a little more seriously. So it was a, it was a call to arms. It was kind of, it was quite fiery. It was very short. Um, some people might not love the tone of it. Um, I think it's one of those books where, like, I, I actually liked it and I would recommend it. But I'd also like, I, I would say, you know, read it back to back with something else, like, like Andy Crouch's Culture Making or something like that. Something that is maybe slightly less adversarial and sees us as it's not like us versus the culture. It's like, no, we're supposed to be actually in amongst the culture. You know what I mean? Something that really places the the work of being called to arms not as us you know making our encampment against our neighbor but rather like participating in the culture right because yeah i think you need to read both books in a sense right you need to read the one that's like hey we need to we need to get busy you know what i mean we need to take a stand but you also need to read the one that says that maybe taking that stand actually involves putting yourself into the culture and, and participating and, and procuring excellence and I have a, a good friend who we've kind of joked about getting tattoos that say like beat your swords into plowshares or something like that, which is talking about end times. But I also like it as an idea of the present tense where it's like maybe we sort of fight the war by gardening. So. It's interesting to me also that like Andy Crouch's book, Culture Making, is like quickly ascending to a Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung level book of like everybody read this it's just such a part of our it's part of the way i just like books that become part of the way you talk almost yeah i mean well i wouldn't take away from the impact that just do something had on my life i also like have slight reservations about it now but that's a conversation for another time not not like not, nothing holy spirit nothing major yeah <laughs> just i i don't it's not a book that i like recommend to everybody the same way okay. i used to interesting still good and it is interesting having these books that end up like like even we can like reference those books and in our minds we don't have to like go into like oh yeah a page and chapter or whatever they're just like a reference point for a set of ideas so like we can navigate our way through a conversation just like ping-ponging off these different books so like yeah. think you know Andy Crouch's culture making think you know Kevin DeYoung's just do something you can kind of like move through a conversation yeah. referencing the, it's really good to have these reference points and I think we're going to find ourselves doing the same thing with the rise and triumph of the modern self as well where oh, it's like do. right and so you find yourself navigating through ideas and conversations referencing these books which are huge volumes of ideas yeah. but you, but we but when you once you're people who've read the same books you have the same points of reference you can actually move faster through a whole network of ideas using these i love that i totally agree we run the risk of becoming less accessible though when we do that both this podcast becoming a little bit less accessible when we're moving fast through ideas which be that what it is um but also even i i'm dangerous to that in conversations like we're all just be like, well, this, this, this. And people are just like, people, you know, people look at you and they don't want to be the person that asks, what do you mean by that book? Cause I haven't read that book or that author. And you kind of like, I don't know. It's just an interesting idea. Cause like on one hand, I love what you're saying, but on the other hand, like even like Theo bros are really guilty of this where they'll be like, well, I mean, you know, kind of like an Aristotelian perspective on that. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, you know, Aristotle's perspective on that. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Sure. His perspective on that. And you're like, and then no one wants to be the person that asks you to clarify, you know? So, totally. It's something I want to like get the balance of enjoying dancing through conversations and then also 
being responsible and like kind of tapping your thoughts. And I know you totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you put that in there because I think it is knowing you the people you're with, right? So like for us here, I think that we could do that pretty comfortably, right? Um, but then, yeah, and maintaining that sort of humility where you where you're never trying to flex in a conversation, right? I yeah, also and think- it's not always about trying to flex. Sometimes it's that you're you're just trying to communicate, and this is the easiest way you know how. But it's like a real skill to actually be able to summarize what you've learned and why you feel like it backs up your point. And the nice thing for at least for this conversation is like saying that you read just do something isn't a particular flex the book's like 120 pages but it can be more flexy when you're referencing like old smart dead dudes i also think it's an interesting way to build friendships based on like books that you're talking about and you start building common ground that gets really rich and i think that's one reason that i always love hanging out with you guys is there's just so much material to be talking from even even if it's unrelated there's ways that it's like we can talk about and reference ideas like you can reference rise and triumph and know that we have that common ground and i think if you're looking to like build friendships or you want to grow one that's actually kind of maybe an interesting idea is start reading some of the books that you know that they're reading yeah because between the four of us we live in three countries right now and so we don't, you, you guys hang out a lot, but me and Owen and, and the, the three of us, we don't have a lot of opportunities to create shared experiences. Oh, true. And that's a lot yeah. of what friendship is based on. Is like, hey, remember that time we went to the water park together? And we can't do that now. We haven't actually ever been to the water park before. <laughs> that would be Just fun though. We should do it both boys. But the water park, <laughs> but, we never went to Mama Dad. Yeah, I, love, I love you two literal brothers and you picked an ex- a common experience that you haven't had. Sorry, but... <laughs> okay, but... But anyway... But that's an easy way to create shared experiences with your friends is to read the same books. Yeah. Just you don't have to do a formal book club, but just be like, "Hey, I love this book. You should read it too." I think if any for any like future teams that I'm like really enmeshed with, I would love to like have a short list of like five books that it's like you will understand where I'm coming from a lot better. Even if you disagree, you'll at least understand where I'm coming from. One of the things Jess did when we first got engaged is she said, "What are the books that have shaped you the most? I want to read those." And I thought that's such, I mean, one speaks to the quality of my wife, but two, it's just a really wise thing to do. Like if you want to get to know the person that you're marrying, go read some of the, the books that have shaped them the most, it builds common ground. Like it's just so many reasons that's a good idea to do. And it's also something like, it's kind of a cool idea, not to take away from your point by making a slightly different one, but it's like invest in friendships that are long-term you know what i mean like it's a cool like you know if you if you kind of look at some people who you respect or you're friends with and you say hey let's start on a project that might take a few years of us reading some of the same books because it will be one dimension of deepening our friendship like that's a it's a long view but like a really rich view like you can you can have these really incredible friendships that have duration over now distance because of some of these some of these things yeah, it's very hard to create shared experience with people at a distance. This is one of the only ways I know how to. So, thanks, boys. Speaking of a shared experience that maybe all four of us have, yeah. did everybody read Project Hail Mary? Oh, yeah, yeah we did. Yes. Let's okay. go. So, I was Wait. worried when... Uh, I, 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 it's a podcast, pri- podcast privilege. Can we, can we just have a quick conversation? I, I'm almost obsessed with with trying to get people into this book with zero context and zero spoilers. Okay, so people you- can disagree with me on this. I just think the reading that book cold 
is like one of the coolest experiences you can have with the book because you just go into it and then the left fields just hit you left right and center yeah i'm so so i'm just saying for anyone who's heard us rant about this book enough to say want to read it please skip a little bit ahead of this because we can talk about it now but like oh reading this book cold is such a cool experience i feel like listener i feel like a lot of you did not skip ahead during the last time we said to skip ahead and you just listened through and listened to us rant about reincarnations and mummies for like 10 minutes please actually skip ahead this time and read the book it's really good it's also like there's like only one swear word in it because the main character is like this really wholesome guy who just says what the heck like you could like basically pretty much listen to this with your family I feel like I would have to re-listen to it again to be like 100% sure, but I think you're totally I was right. listening to it with that lens because I was like, could I like listen to this with my family? There's there's one swear word. I don't know why they threw that in there. There's like another character who wasn't as wholesome, but but like, hey, it's, good it's like seriously like a book you could... Anyway, it's... Okay. Are we going to talk about spoilers now? Okay, I, okay. I'm content to skip if, if we I, need I'm to not talk about spoilers. For a second time. Maybe maybe just say what what about it overall just really... I can't talk about what about it impacts me without spoilers, but I will just, I will just, one thing I will say is that I talked to some of my slightly more sciencey friends who had read it and they told me that it's like actually really well thought through. Obviously not everything is totally plausible, but it's like the whole time I was like, I kind of want this to be like legit ish, like that this is sort of theoretically possible. And they were like, yeah, it was pretty solid actually. So, and then I looked up some reviews by, by scientists who had read it and like it's actually like a pretty well thought through book it's not just bs so that's kind of fun you don't need that in a science fiction book but it was fun that it actually is like really well thought through and i think that that's andy weir's thing right like he's about doing proper science fiction right um now uh what i loved about it though is that you're reading it this is my big like the books feel i'm not gonna give spoilers but the books feel is that like you're reading it and you feel so smart (laughs) because like he's talking about, I'm not a STEM guy at all. Like science and math, that stuff wrecks me. I'm not, that's not my space, but I'm reading it. He's getting, it feels like he's getting technical, but it's, it's rich. It's a great experience. I feel like I'm on the problem solving journey with the hero. Like, being like oh man i get what you're saying it's not gonna work because of that thing what about this thing over here and he's like he suggested it. i'm just like yeah bro give it a try man for sure <laughs> <laughs> and so like you feel like you're on the journey and you feel like you are actually a genius with the main character and because he 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 makes these sort of like complicated technical ideas pretty accessible and and very very easy to read and again i'm an idiot when it comes to this stuff and and I still found that I was able to get in there and feel like I got what was going on. I wasn't lost. Like the, the techno babble didn't lose me ever. Yeah. And that that's a very impressive feat on the part of the author. I thought that was so cool. The one thing I would the only like moment where I was like, ah, uh, maybe that's a little bit cheesy, is at one point in the book, he learned a new language very quickly. Mm. And it seemed like he bridged like <laughs> all kinds of like syntax and grammar and jazz. Just like that was a little bit of a gimme moment, I think. And even there, he did it in a way that was kind of like cool and smart. And you're like, oh yeah, no, I like I like the way you made that happen. Yeah. But it still felt like maybe that he kind of like that was a little bit cheap. But other than that, amazing. That was my one critique as well. It, I, that language would be so the way it was described is so linguistically different than anything we have, and it still takes 
even like geniuses years to learn really difficult languages like Mandarin. So I was like, hmm, okay. Yeah. I just found for all the sciencey things, it made the problem so rewarding. Because when something so, would come out of left field, it would be a left field that you're like, you're, yeah, your left field, you're like, oh, no, I actually, I get why that would be problem. Yep, that makes sense to me. Oh, man, that is a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, you're almost like, I overlooked that part, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was a perfect thing of, like, explaining it without over-explaining it. So you could, like, you were just ba- barely able to hang on even. Like, I did really poorly in high school science, and I was, like, remembering just enough from it to, like, hang on and, and stay engaged. Oh, what a masterful writer. I would, even, I would even say, like, with the language thing, like, the what he talked about was all really accurate and the way that you would actually go about doing what he did was totally accurate as well. It's only the speed that was inaccurate. The methodology was great. Cool. That was another book that Jess and I read together and no, no, no. I read that one on my own. I just read it in like one day. So it was like, I read it so, I I just like, Mm, I thought it was only I think, like I think it's like eight hours. It's pretty. It's like it's like a medium length book. I think it was legitimately two days. That's r- wild. I just destroyed it, and I was listening to it in the same room as Jess, but we weren't listening to it together. I was trying to listen to it with Chloe, but she was like, "This just feels like a bunch of science things," and I was like, "I was gonna say, oh, hang on, it'll get better," and then I was like, "No, I actually am too hooked on this to wait for you," and I just finished it. So, <laughs> all right, uh, I read. I read a few Jeeves and Wooster books. Uh, Carry on Jeeves, Right Ho Jeeves, a bunch of them. Um, phenomenal. Uh, so I'm just going to skip a few of them uh, to number 47, which is Invitation to Evangelism by Timothy Booker. Um, it was good. It was just a textbook on evangelism. I liked it. Um, it was not anything that blew my mind. A lot of stories that were repeated both in class and in lecture. And so that kind of made it a bit frustrating to listen to, but good uh, good book and then well, actually uh, there's a bunch that i'm gonna skip and I, I we also read i also read the case against the sexual revolution which was fantastic but all the qualifications uh next on my list the resurrection by leo tolstoy uh so this is one of his big three novels and i really enjoyed it basically this is the last novel he wrote and it's when he's a Christian already. Um, and it's kind of, it's working on a few different themes, but mainly it's following a young man who gets kind of corrupted by uh, the pleasures of the world. He, in his youth, gets a girl pregnant uh, that he likes. And then because of that, she who was once innocent then goes and becomes a prostitute and like destroys her life and then gets thrown in jail. Then he ends up being on the jury, uh, trying her and then has this huge realization moment that he's like destroyed her life, feels super guilty and then basically dedicates his life to serving her and trying to get her out of jail. And it's basically like this whole resurrection story of him trying to like, be Christ to her in a sense and his wrestling with motivations of like doing this for his own sake because he feels bad so it's coming out of guilt then he's doing it out of uh love for her because he he wants to marry her it's just really it's actually a great book and at the same time the whole book is making 
commentary on the Russian prison system and prison reform. It's just, it's an interesting book. It does like a lot of layers. And then the final kind of ending is him coming to a good, like a really good place about his motivations and realizing like the point is not about me. I'm just like seeking to be uh, like a servant to her and like lay down my life for her. It's a really good book. Like I think it's maybe less of a classic than some of his other, like some of the other stuff. Cause this one's not as popular as War and Peace or Anna Karenina, but I felt it actually was more uh, approachable. Still Russian, still lots of dialogue, but more approachable for maybe like a beginner Russian Russian novel reader. That's interesting. I I still haven't read any of Tolstoy's full novels, so yeah, maybe those are the, those are the three main. I'd yeah. say that's not a bad one to start with. There you go. Now, you you love reading your Russians. Uh, I do. Have you? Do you think you're closely reading through all of Tolstoy's bibliography? I, he's written a bunch of short stories. I've right. read at least half of those. I've read some of those, yeah. I've now read over half of his main novels, and I've n- read a couple essays, but he's written a ton of essays. Right. So I don't know, like, do essays count? So this is really interesting. I have, I'm going to, this is my slight detour. I'll, I'll keep it small. But I have been talking with my wife, and we, I've been thinking about planning a reading um project for myself where i will take a do i need to speak up jacob no you're fine okay well I'll, I'll take an author who i think is a really interesting thinker who ended up thinking some good thoughts and i'm gonna read through i'm first gonna take everything they wrote i'm gonna like lay it out on a timeline of like when they wrote it mm. and i'll and i'll try to find like the essays and i'll try to find the the diary entries and the letters that he wrote to people and stuff that he published in newspapers mm-hmm. and and the short stories and the novels and the nonfiction and I'll lay it out on a timeline of when he wrote this stuff and then I'll start at the beginning and work my way through this guy so I can like or or woman and see what their thinking was as they went along and how ideas developed and take like like deep critical notes as I go so that I can start noting themes and trends that hmm. grow and form, and I can watch their ideas develop. I think that that would be such a cool project with wow. the, with yeah. someone like G.K. Chesterton or or something like that, where you can like just start yeah. at one end, work your way through. I'm just trying. I'm I'm going to do this. I'm just trying to figure out wh- who are you going to do it with. I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to do it with. Okay. G.K. Chesterton jumps to mind right away. I'd love to do Aldous Huxley as well. Mm-hmm. I've been messing around with a couple more of his novels. I think that I like probably could not disagree with his worldview more but he spent a lot of time thinking about it i'd love to watch how those ideas developed um and those ideas developed in a really important space in the 20th century as well mm. um a.a milne like the guy who wrote winnie the pooh i would love to do to do this project on his writing he wrote on pacifism and mm. war because he was a world war one veteran uh and he wrote like he wrote adult fiction as well um so he wrote novels for adults uh, so I'd love to work my way through his his bibliography, but like everything, including like the letters and the diary and like yeah. anything you can get your hands on so that you can actually identify themes. Would you ever do something like that with Tolstoy? Or would you be like, no, I got to learn Russian first? No, this is, well, <laughs> yeah. To to really do it, obviously, like to be like a scholar of, of yeah. Tolstoy, I would, you would have to do that. But it is uh, a small goal to read everything he's written. Sure. It's sort of just like a big goal, and I'm not doing it in order like you're saying. That's a really cool idea. 
I just don't know if I want to dedicate the time to going back and timelining it all out. I think I might do this with multiple authors and do projects. So, yeah, I'm really, I feel like you have to pick someone who hasn't written too much because yeah, you, otherwise you're just literally not going to keep up. Because there's some authors that have written so much. Well, and I wouldn't just, do everything. I couldn't, read. right? Like they spend a lifetime writing. I can't spend a lifetime catching up with them, right? Like, so. Unless you pick someone who isn't that prolific. Like Tolstoy right. wrote a ton, but from what I can tell, like if I'm most of the way through his novels, I'm most of the way through short stories, like he wrote a lot of essays, but he's one that I kind of was like, okay, you're, I, I could read all of it yeah, yeah, and just sort of pick away at it. Well, and even when I make my timeline, like I make the like pattern out what I'm going to do, I would probably very intentionally like exclude some stuff. Just be like, okay, I'm mm. not going to do all this stuff. I'm going to move it. I'm going to make sure I read this thing. I'm going to make sure I read that thing and probably tweak it as I go. Like if he seems to keep referencing something he did earlier, I'll put that back in kind of thing. But I wouldn't do hundred percent. Like GK Chesterton is a good example of someone who I could just could not keep up mm. with everything he wrote. It'd be hard to find it all. It's just so much. He just never stopped. Right? I, I literally was looking earlier this year, like, are there people who've made compilations of like everything that Tolstoy wrote or everything that right. C.S. Lewis wrote? I couldn't I couldn't find a print thing. Like so maybe I could find a collection of the PDFs. Like I, you definitely can do that. Yeah. Uh for C.S. Lewis for example, but there's no printed the complete works of C.S. Lewis in one print thing. Like I'd buy that and yeah. then just slowly work through it. Yeah. I have and maybe it's because some of these authors are too it's too difficult to do that. I have um what I think is the entire works of Francis Schaeffer. Okay, like it's five cool. volumes, thick volumes, but like it's on my bookshelf and it takes about, up, up, you know, takes up 20% of a bookshelf. There you go. And so I kind of want to tackle Schaefer at some point. I'd just be like, no, I know this guy's thinking. Yeah. It'd be, also, all stuff. it'd be fun to be like, yeah, so I've read um, everything Schaefer wrote. Yeah. It was a sentence that rolls off the tongue fun. Yeah. You know, in 2020, when the lockdowns happened, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I made a commitment in 2020. I was like, oh, I, I'm not going to be working, but I'm going to be, because uh, I got locked down out of my suit selling job, obviously. Not essential, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hard uh, disagree with that. Yeah. I, I was shocked. Anyway. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to write a novel and I'm going to read everything <clears throat> Jane Austen wrote. Uh, and so I did, I, I didn't read like all of her, I didn't do it on the same project level, but I read through all of her completed novels, ah. um, in, in that, in that summer. Uh, and it was, it was good. It was actually really, she didn't write that many. Um, she's a good example of someone you could probably do this with pretty accessibly. Yeah. Um, but it's not like people aren't already heavily studying Jane Austen. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to do someone who's just a little bit off the top 10 authors of all time. You know? <laughs> I remember, I think it was John Piper at like a T4G. He said, get yourself a dead mentor. And so like, okay, pick one I like that. old dead theologian and read everything they've written and just like steady it. Pick one person. So for him, it was Jonathan Edwards. Oh, he I like that. read and read and read and read his stuff. I haven't read much of Jonathan Edwards, but I could see that being a good choice. It is, from the little bit I've read, Same. so hard. Like, yeah. I feel like an idiot reading him. I, I love that, but I also don't because in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. It seems like it could be interesting to sort of become a bit of a carbon copy of somebody, but that is really cool though. What, what, yeah, probably both and. What I feel like would be really cool is though, is if you could find a, a dead mentor who also talked and wrote about what influenced them because it's like, like if Jane Austen was like, yeah, I, 
well, that'd, be, that'd be funny. But if Jane Austen was like, yeah, so like I wrote all this stuff. Also, I was reading this and this and this when I was, you know, 22 and it deeply influenced the way I shaped this story. Then you've got yourself a, a mentor that I think is really cool. And I'd love to find that because I, I find most interesting when I when I hear from people is like what things shaped them. Because I think I think it was at one of the T4Gs, maybe um, I forget who it was. It might have been Ferguson. One of the guys said, he's like, when you ask people what, like you ask people who you respect, what books that they recommend, don't, that's a bad question to ask. Ask them what shaped them when they were your age, because that's the right book to read. Not necessarily what's resonating with them right now. And I was like, well, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. That is interesting. So who's next? Oh, yeah. Um, my next one, we've talked about it. We talked about it on the last podcast, but Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World okay, uh, by Daniel Weiss and Joshua Glazer. Um, it was really good. It was a guide uh, for parents uh, of children. You know, we live in the age of the internet, and there is massive accessibility. And parents have to basically kind of brace themselves for the fact that their kids are gonna have access to horrifying content, and how to think about that, how to protect your home, but also how to not just sort of like have a shelter at all costs attitude, but how to sort of effectively prepare your children for the world that they're growing into. Um, I I think we talked about this book already. I thought it was quite effective. Um, w- what I will say especially is that it was, it seemed to be quite realistic. Like it seemed, sometimes you read these books and you're like, mm, I don't know if you've been on the internet lately, you know? <laughs> um, but this one seemed to have like a pretty good grasp of the situation, which is grim, just for the record, without being alarmist, which is not easy to hit that bounce, man. You get a lot of people get in this space and like, oh no, they're coming for the kids, you know? Um, and this one just seemed to somehow hit that balance of just being like, hey, it's rough guys. Um, but they weren't like screaming and looking for pitchforks and stuff. It was good. Owen, oh, you just, you're so concise. I love it. I'm going to be concise and say that I read The Missional Entrepreneur by Mark L. Russell and Tent Making by Patrick Lai. And neither were great. Oh, right. You're up, Jake. Tell us more. They just, they, uh, I can talk about it more. They, they both, uh, mm-hmm. you know how I said that, um, that Kevin DeYoung said that the mission of the church, if, if, if everything is missions, then nothing is. That's kind of what these books fell into. It was just sort of like, I think I was looking for, I didn't even care what type of intentional business they were talking about. I'd be interested in anything, but it was so broad that it kind of said nothing. And they were both actually pretty long. They were like just interesting enough that I finished both, but I kind of got to the end and it was like, yeah. Were those, uh, were those assigned readings? No. Okay. Just books. No, just books that I found. Cool. Um, I'm fine with, uh, busting through books if we're, if we're just like, you know, so tactics, Gregory, cool, really, really popular book. Who's read that? Pardon? That's Google. Yeah. Actually, that makes sense. There's two K's in his last name. Um, have any of you guys read that? You've you've read it? No, no. no. I have. It was good. Yeah. I'm just I, I had to read it for some. Have reading. you listened to any of his lectures or anything? No. Are they good? I I, I love Gregor Google. Uh, it's tactics on how to share your faith. It's evangelism, but it's also broadly speaking, how to just be like a winsome yeah. type Christian. Yeah. It it was a book where I was like I was like eh, I know most of this stuff already. It's good. I would really strongly recommend it to like a like a younger person because it's just like there's some foundational stuff in there like the power just the power of asking questions and being a good listener and like even thinking through how to have an argument through the lens of asking questions lots of good stuff i I just i'm not interested okay so this is 
if I may, I won't go too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no. it, this is kind of classics in the apologetic space. Yeah. I think that chances, I, I actually have no idea. I've never had this conversation with you guys, but I assume based on our relationship that we're pretty much on the same page that like apologetics can sometimes get a little bit toxic as a space. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it gets super combative um, and competitive and actually like loses the spirit of the gospel in the pursuit of winning arguments and stuff. I'm not about some of the space that apologetics finds itself in. Uh, Gregory Kukul goes back. So like I was like listening to like his lectures on the stuff like way back when. And he is, a, I honestly think that he is a brand of apologetics I can still stand behind. Um, he is like, even when you're talking about like, he is so big about, um, just uh, when you, you're going to these conversations, don't be so fixated on winning and like destroying this guy with facts and logic. He's like, you probably don't actually know, even if you think you understand Hinduism, you got a guy standing in front of you. You could just ask him what he believes and just work through questions, be humble. Right. And, and that way you're not you're learning about the person standing in front of you, which is what your object should be. Like, and it's, it's actually quite winsome. And he's like, even in his, uh, I don't know if it comes up in tactics as much, but he just talks about being, you're an ambassador. Think like you are in those shoes. Like be winsome. Don't be a jerk. Like, do you think you're going to like be compelling in conversation if you like go around the place being such a, such a big shot all the time. And then, or, or even things like tipping. He'd be like, don't go into a restaurant uh, and, and think that you're going to like strike up this really wonderful winsome conversation where you're going to like, you know, plant a seed with the, with the staff who you meet there and like leave a lousy tip. He's like, think about the fact that you are an ambassador always and you need to love and care for the people who you encounter if you think that your message is going to actually has value. Mm. Right. And so like, I actually consistently like Gregory Kukul's brand of apologetics. Mm. Cause I think that, and I wish people would, would like, read it more almost because I do think it would help to moderate some of the unhealthy tone that you run into. Yeah. Cause I do feel a turnoff for a lot of apologetics. It's never like, I like a lot of secondary disciplines, counseling, ethics, apologetics. I've just never enjoyed or liked reading. Yeah. I've always found it to be like more helpful for Christians who want to strengthen their own faith <laughs> to like, like that's where I've almost seen more of its value is like, Oh, you feel stressed that maybe Christianity isn't a logical religion and you need someone to right. like convince you of that. And that's, that's great. I'm pumped for that. But yeah, man, you, so many people out there are getting destroyed in arguments and then don't go change their mind. Most, most people aren't actually out there doing that. So, yeah. Uh, my next book, On the Meaning of Sex by Jay Budachewski. Uh, Jake just dipped out. I wish he was here for this one. We both read it again for our sexual ethics class. Okay, this one was really... This was unique, actually. This was another unique book. Do you, um, do you want us to keep moving t till Jake gets back? We can come back to you. Um. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Okay. Sorry, Owen, I... Not at all. Chances are John Michael's got more books than me anyway, so this will work out. Uh, Caring for the Souls of Our Children, um, which is a biblical counseling book edited by Amy Baker. Um, every chapter is written by different authors. Um, it's it's well within the biblical counseling camp, right? Like that's a fair, right. yeah. Like it is, it's good. It covers a wide range of issues that parents of kids from very young children to like older teens are going to encounter. It is, yeah. It, it's good. I thought it was, I thought it was quite good. Uh, I thought that 
I, there was, there was, I don't think there was a single chapter where I was like, mm, not feeling this one though. I think that actually resonated with just about everything I encountered. So yeah, um, I would recommend this to, to yeah, the Christian moms and dads out there. This is a good one to have read preemptively, uh, but then to also keep on your shelf for future reference. That book, I read that book last semester and it just gives helpful handholds to like, okay, here's a whole bunch of topics you should probably be thinking about both as a biblical counselor, but also as a parent. So just a, a, an overview of a lot of those things. Really helpful. Yeah. And some of them are quite heavy, right? So some of them are like, yes. you pro- hopefully won't encounter this, but like, what do you, what do you do if you're, you find out your child is cutting, right? Like something that can be quite out there, right? Yeah, totally. So, so we just passed in some WD-40. Yeah. We had the, the hand offering us a WD-40. It's like the white hand of, uh, <laughs> whatever that queen's name is. Jermichael, do you want to go back and talk about the book that you that we moved on from now that Jake's here? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, huge lead up to On the Meaning of Sex by Jay Budachewski. I just thought you'd want to be here to talk about it too. Okay. Um, so, written by a Catholic guy, but written to, he, like he's a teacher, I think he said in a high school or maybe in a like college. Oh yeah, okay, university setting. Uh, to secular students mostly. So it's written to that crowd, uh, but using natural law, using a lot of Christian underpinnings, but basically starts with being like, hey, I'm a Christian, gonna acknowledge that off at the top. The last chapter is gonna deal with the transcendent meaning of sex, but up till then, I'm just gonna walk through natural law arguments, um, which for people who don't know, that's basically just like that there is a natural givenness to our bodies and to the world. So uh, your eyes are made with a purpose for seeing. Uh, Like there's physicality, there's design built into everything that exists. And when things are used in accordance with their design, then things flourish. And when you go against the design for your body, for the world, etc., then things do not go well. So it's mostly arguing starting from there, a little bit of virtue ethics, a little bit of other stuff. Um, but this book just brought up different points. I don't know what, what you think, Jake, but like it just brought out angles and points that I never really considered. Like I want to read it again because he was coming from a perspective, uh, I, maybe as a Catholic, thinking about ideas related to sex and gender that were just new to me. Um, I need to, I need to pull up my notes to see specific ones, but he had some on, uh, on dating and on, uh, modesty, if I remember correctly, uh, on modesty that were really good too. So this is a recommend to you guys. Again, this is one of those where it's like, I loved it. Would it be my first recommend? No, but for y'all, very interesting book. Uh, on the Meaning of Sex by Jay Budachowski. 150 pages. Yeah, it, it's written for his students. I, I would love to read a, a longer book by him. My only, the, the only comment I'd make too is he's a very flowery writer. And the first chapter I was like, ew, like what is this? This is like- That's my thing. Too much. But then as he went on, it some of his flowery writing started to hit more and good ideas underneath start to shine more. So it's a book that I plan to reread. I'll put it on my list. 
You sold me at flowery writing. Um, okay, guys, can I just say, um, sometimes on the podcast, I am scared about what should I say next, and I start thinking about what I'm going to say next, and then I don't listen well, and I, I'm just feeling very comfortable on this podcast. I <laughs> Owen just grabbed my hand. Now I'm not comfortable anymore. Just kidding. <laughs> you ruined it. No, no. Anyway, sorry. I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm comfortable around you. This wow. this, is a, this feels a very safe, chill atmosphere. We got a couple. No one can see this, but we got this like kind of oversized desk in the middle. There's like aha bubblies. I've got some Which jelly beans. Which tastes like peach, fuzzy peaches. Yeah. I already did mine right into the mic while you were talking. <laughs> it was really rude. I don't know why I did that. Okay. We got jelly beans. It's uh it's it's fun. I will never understand why Jake likes jelly beans, but thank really? you for providing. Yeah, they're like probably my least favorite candy in the whole world. Dude. I don't understand. What's so uh Jay Budaskowski it was very interesting. I think he's a terrible writer. Oh like, really? Yeah, people so say flowery no, was code oh, for bad. Some people said flowery, I thought it was just garbage. Okay. Um I'm taking it off my list now. No, he it's worth reading. Okay. Because back he, on. he he <laughs> He just, he just approaches like, he just approaches stuff with like very odd, like he'll go. Taking off my list. All the, (laughs) (laughs) he's willing to dive into topics about attraction and modesty and beauty and how that relates to sexuality in ways that are very, it's a very. That kind of that weird philosophicalness that Catholics have, that like, I I really got a lot from it. It was great. So, I went. Owen, focus, focus, <laughs> game, focus. game. <laughs> Owen just, Owen we're, just. We're in a room absolutely full of books. Like it's literally there's, a there's library. Literally hundreds of books. It here. feels fitting, but I have to say, it <laughs> is off a title called The Passion. But then, what was it, what was it about? Yeah. It's about Ruby. <laughs> No, not the Christian. The no, not sex. <laughs> Rugby. <laughs> it is. It's. It's. It's mixed feelings. It feels very appropriate for what we're doing, but it is very distracting. I keep thinking like, and I'm. I'm the worst for if I'm at someone's house and there's a bookshelf, like they'll be talking to me directly, and I'll pull books off and start flipping through them. Like, like I just I love books. What can I say? That's all I have to say. Yeah. Who's next? I'm sorry, Jake. That was awful. I was had my like on off joke going. They were reading the passion. Um, it's a safe space. Isn't it a safe space? Listeners, I hope you, I hope you were listening to Jake, dear listeners. Thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. It's immensely helpful. I'm all about having meaningful, interesting conversations. So if you know of someone I should talk to, hit me up on Instagram at it's the Volk. Have a good one, guys.